Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Fellas, welcome back to Man Challenge, the digital edition. We are in week two of our five-week series in First Peter. Uh, love coming alongside you men, studying the word and community, continuing to do so. Our last series of the Man Challenge semester. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at uh, a good bit of text. We're, we're going to have to hustle a little bit. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13 through First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. The first word of, of the text today is the word therefore, which a fun little mnemonic I feel phrase. a good joke coming. Yeah, it's a good joke. Uh, <laughs> when you read in scripture, therefore, you can wisely ask, what is the therefore, therefore? So I'm sitting today with Chris Burke, Sam Reeder, Sam Wise, uh, Run us back to last week. Why do we start our text today with the word therefore? What's, what, what did we study last week and learn? Great question. Burke did a great job at the end of last week, kind of concisely putting a bow on it for us, where yeah. essentially we said that Peter has told uh, these elect exiles, these chosen covenantal people of God, he's told them who they are before he gets into what they're called to do. Mm. Uh, and so we're getting into the, the application piece now, but he's reminding them, therefore, you do these things based upon mm. what I've already told you is true of you. So he said that we are chosen by God, that in Christ, as Christ was resurrected, we too are born again to a living hope in him, to an imperishable hope, an eternal hope. Uh, and living out of the reality of that identity, we are called to live a certain life. So that's what we're going to kind of dive into today. And... and in that life too, one thing I want to add there is we are foreigners, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that kind of sets us apart and mm-hmm. makes us exiles. So Peter is writing to a group of people who felt like outsiders in their specific society. But he says, but here's who you are. As believers, here's who you are. And so today, as Sam said, we're going to kind of look at four big commands uh, on Peter's part to us as believers in order to be who we are in Christ. So if you've professed faith and the atonement and the resurrection of Christ, we're going to look today at what it means to be who you are. And so he says, starting in verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is the first command we get from Peter. If, if you are a son of God, if your citizenship has been shifted to uh, that of the heavenly kingdom, you are to set your hope fully on grace. And there's a couple of things I want to I catch in that verse uh, before I let you talk a little bit about preparing our minds for action and being sober-minded, Berg. Um, first is, he says, set your hope. Set your hope. This means put your hope in. We've talked about hope a lot in that Psalm series. Uh, but I think it's worth iterating that hope is a term that we can kind of use negatively at times, um, meaning like, I, I hope it's not gonna rain tomorrow. Mm. Like we just sort of assume that with hope, there's a 
higher likelihood that this might not happen. That's not the type of hope that Peter's talking about mm. here. See, Peter's hope Good is word. based on mm. the gospel. So he's, he's looking to the future. He's saying, I've got this future hope, this future inheritance that is imperishable, and I'm not nervous about it because I've seen Christ's faithfulness. So I, I, who, uh, who picks your kids up from school? You or Sarah, typically? Typically me. Typically you. Yeah. So they, they've got a hope that dad's going to pick them up from school each day, but they're not crossing their fingers, hoping dad makes it. They've seen your faithfulness. Yeah. I know, dad, I I know dad's, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I know dad's going to, going to pick me up. I've got this hope. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. I've got hope in the fact because of my dad's faithfulness that he's going to come and get me. And we do the same thing. We hope, uh, we set our hope on a God who has proved his faithfulness. That second word I want us to catch is fully. This isn't 70% faith, 30% savings account. Mm. Peter's not letting us hedge our bets. Our hope is no. fully, wholly in him and specifically on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what Peter's saying here is that in, in Jesus' death and resurrection, we've been given grace. We've been justified and he started the work of sanctifying us, of making us holy, making us like him, but also that Jesus is coming back. Hmm. He's, he's gonna return the second coming of Christ. We look forward with hope because the grace that will be brought to us on that day. When Jesus returns, uh, right now we're being perfected. We're being redeemed. He's, he's perfecting, redeeming, sanctifying us. On that day, grace will be fully realized. We will be fully redeemed. We will be perfect in his sight. And so we set our hope based on Jesus's death and resurrection on this future state of being that God's working us towards now. That's the first thing we're to do as believers. We're to, we're to fix our hope on him. Is that? Fully. Fully, yeah. Mm -hmm. But he says, he gives us kind of some practical ways to do that. Preparing our minds for action, being sober-minded. Your, your translation might say sober-minded differently. What's it say? Um, self-controlled. Self yeah, yeah, yeah. So this verse tells us to prepare our minds, to be self-controlled. What does that look like, Burke? Well, How do we do that? I, you know, Sam, I think, spoke a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about, you know, kind of your checklist of mm. how you're doing. And the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, mm. right? And so Peter's telling us to, to prepare our minds for action and yet be self-controlled. You know, sometimes it's like, right, let's go do it. We don't necessarily, like, it makes sure we have self-control. Yeah. Um, my, my wife uh, sent me this recently from uh, something she's been reading, a, a, a working definition of self-control is being able to keep oneself in check. It's not letting our circumstances cause us to lose control. Self-control exhibits moderation, temperance, and discipline. It's choosing under significant pressure to chase after the important instead of the urgent, which I thought was something to, mm. to kind of wrestle with, right? Self-controlled people show restraint and are not impulsive. I think, you know, coaches say this all the time. You hear, you hear football coaches say, we want to play with passion, but not emotion. And some people say, well, that's just semantics. But the point being like, hey, if a dude hits you after the whistle, trust me, I know you want to hit him back. Yeah. But we want to be self-controlled. We want him to get the 15-yard penalty, <laughs> not offsetting penalties, yeah, right? Yeah. Like they're going to play with emotion. They're going to lose their mind. We need you to be self-controlled. I want you to be passionate. I want you to play with a sense of urgency. I want you to 
go at it with all you have, but we can't lose ourselves in the circumstances, right? And that's, man, life will hit you like that, won't it? Like mm. this self-controlled uh, nature that, uh, or uh, uh, struggle with our nature that so many of us face in competitive situations or arguments or uh, matters of debate. And you say, okay, how do I be in the world but not of the world? Um, you know, I think self-control is one of those spiritual disciplines, one of those fruits of the spirit that when we lack, it causes us to avoid things that can be really fruitful. For instance, conversations that are uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, we kind of talked about this uh, before we got going today. Like uh, with the situation in Minnesota, like some people just, they don't know how to have control in a situation because they may lose their tongue. Mm -hmm. So they don't, they're not even able to have a conversation about something that's so hurtful really to our entire country. Mm -hmm. And so they remove themselves from the situation because they haven't been prayerful about the ability to control maybe their tongue or their emotions because they get so passionate. Not all that's necessarily bad. Sometimes the temperance of removing yourself from conversation can be wise. But I just think it's a beautiful thought for all of us to wrestle with as God calls us to go, yeah. to, have, to be prayerful about being self-control and uh, being wise as we go. Yeah. Um, it's very important very important uh kind of characteristic of a mature believer yeah when thinking we talked about this last week like the emphasis is on the mind here we're preparing our minds for action that i was reading the your footnotes might even say it in your bible at the bottom of the page it might say greek girding up the loins of your mind it's that sober-mindedness being sober-minded mm -hmm. is literally like a person preparing for sport Back in these days, dudes are wearing rope. What they're saying is when, when Jordan rolls his shorts up to play D, that's what we're doing with our minds in order to set our hope mm -hmm. fully on grace. Mm -hmm. And so this, this discipline, mm -hmm. uh, you said some great words, moderation that we pursue with our mind in order to fix our eyes on grace. Hebrews 12, one and two says a similar thing. The writer says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So the, the means of self-control, discipline, spiritual disciplines even, fixing our mind on him are what give us the endurance to run the race, hmm. are what give us the hope that we need mm -hmm. to endure the race, yeah. right? Um, so first, we set our hope fully on grace. But then Peter continues, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So Sam, mm -hmm. holiness, I feel like you enjoy this conversation a good bit. What stands out to you in those first three verses? Uh, right off the top, the, uh, he addresses them as obedient children. Mm -hmm. Kids look like their dads. And he reminds them of way back in Leviticus, God says he's holy. So he's like, hey, if you're his kids, kids look like their dads, you should be holy, he's holy. Yeah. I guess another way to kind of phrase what those two verses say is that you are to be holy by not being conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Mm. So he kind of ju juxtaposes to kind of help you flesh out what he means by go be holy. Don't look like your old ways. It, it doesn't look like falling into the trap of former desires, former lustful urges and passions, rather be holy. Now, we could have a whole conversation yeah. defining holiness, yeah. and we can dive into that as far as you want, but uh, yeah, simply put, I love the imagery of 
kids looking like their dads. Here's what your dad looks like, so here's what you should look like. Yeah. And can, can I just say that's one of those lines in Scripture I remember the first time reading it being like, all right, that's impossible. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, be holy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's all I have to do? Just be holy like you are, you know. But, you know, back to my jockisms, it's like a coach doesn't say before the game, hey, guys, let's, let's turn it over just like 12 times today. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not what, you know, hey, guys, let's play a clean game. Don't turn the ball over. Create turnovers. Don't turn the ball over. I like our chances today. Yeah. Nobody starts the game off with, I'm going to give you three, seven really dumb plays today. <laughs> Nobody said, you know, we have this yeah. aspiration of doing it right, you mm-hmm. know, and God calls us to a standard that is um, high. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be called to that standard. I'm grateful for a God that, that holds us in the esteem, that gives us the power of the Holy Spirit, that allows us to chase after his standard, knowing that we're sinful, fallen people, and he has grace for all our, all our mistakes. But grateful to, to be a part of a ministry that calls us higher. Yeah. Right? Well, and I, I want to come back to you on that. But I, as we talk about holiness, and you, you kind of gave an implicit definition Holiness, I think, is another word that we can see in Scripture that's really in, in our day and age more often than not used pejoratively. Like, mm-hmm. well, he's pretty holy, huh? You're right. Like, yeah. like, yeah. That's basically like, you're lame. Yeah. I don't want to spend time with you. <laughs> Self-righteous. Self-righteous. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But what you said is, is holiness, to be holy, is to not be like you used to be. And that's what the word holy means. If we are sanctified, mm-hmm. consecrated, mm-hmm. made holy, these are religious words that mean set apart. Hmm. I'm, I'm meant to look different hmm. if I'm following Christ. And what is Peter thinking as he writes to foreigners and exiles who feel, look, act differently than the culture they're surrounded by? Holiness, as we, as we look to our Father, and the beauty of this too, this is where Sam and I wish we could spend a year, is this comes from the holiness of God. Like he's so unlike us. Isaiah 55, 8. You don't think the way I do. Mm. You don't, your ways are not my ways. We're different. And not in a way that um, diminishes, but in a way that gives us this reverence, this awe, this understanding. But we are meant to be distinct, to be set apart. Why, Burke, do you think guys have a hard time not going with the flow? Um, For maybe reasons you just articulated, just almost being associated with that word holy, like, Mm. you know. Ah, I don't want to be goody-goody. Goody-goody. I don't want to be, uh, make everybody feel uncomfortable. Uh, but the reality is, you know, let's just phrase it a different way. Like chasing after God or, or, or attempting to uh, trust in his ways in all circumstances. It can be awkward. It can be uncomfortable. It can cost you something. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've talked about through in some prior weeks, like uh, our purpose is to love God and love people, right? Mm-hmm. That's our purpose, right? Mm-hmm. His ways are good and they're for his glory and for the good of us and other people. Like that's our purpose. Yeah. That dictates our priorities and our priorities dictate our actions, right? And so if we can just kind of keep our mind on that flow chart, so to speak, then I think being set apart becomes easier. And as we've all experienced in our lives, it is good for us. For instance, mm-hmm. you're on a text thread that turned sideways. Like now we got inappropriate pictures flying around. Okay. What are my choices? I can leave the text thread. I can make a point that I'm not comfortable under the current climate of this text thread, or I can just call them all a bunch of names and bounce. Right. So what are my options? I've been in quite a few of those situations. I've 
chosen through prayer and introspection. Like, I'm just going to call these dudes higher. Hey, look here. I love being a part of this text thread. I'm not going to be a part of this text thread if this is the way it's going to go. So this is like, we're all still boys. I love all y'all, but like, I'm out. You know, and and I've always (laughs) seen good fruit from that. (laughs) I always have. Uh, But I'm okay with not seeing good fruit from that because Mm. my purpose dictates my priorities. My priorities dictates my actions. And I don't, that's not good for me. Like, it's not good for me. It's not like I'm trying to put up pretense. It's not good for me to look at those images. Mm -hmm. It's not good for my marriage. It's not good for my my heart. Um, So anyway, it's it's situations like that are just a real practical that I think probably a lot of guys face. Ultimately, that is for your good, and and that's not necessarily what we're talking about. But the short answer is that, yeah, yeah, it's uncomfortable. You have to be different. Yeah. That's that's a reality Mm -hmm. of our faith. I was getting ready to ask you, what's a practical example of that? So I'm, I'm glad you, you filled that gap. So we, zooming out a little bit and being who we are, we set our hope fully on the grace of God, at Jesus is coming. We be holy, that's numero dos. Mm. Sam set that up well. Peter goes on to kind of give us a couple ways to pursue holiness. In verse 17, he says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear, Catch those words. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So I find this interesting. There's some statistic 300 plus times in the Bible. God says, do not be afraid. Do not fear. I'm with you. Peter says, in pursuing holiness, conduct yourselves with fear. Can you untwist that knot for us, Sam? I think this is just an easy place to, to make just a strong plug for the importance of always reading scripture in context. It'd be really easy to pull this one line out and to create all kinds of confusion. We should be afraid of God. We should be scared. We should hide from him and mm. all sorts of mistruths. But in this context, again, remember, we've just saw in verse 14, he uses this imagery of obedient children. And then in verse 17, he refers to him as father. And you just said it when we were talking about holiness, this reverence. So Mm -hmm. it's a reverent fear Mm -hmm. that we are to conduct ourselves with. So it's this imagery of the way a child approaches their parent. Uh, Very practical. Last night, I'm rocking our almost six-month-old. I've almost got him down. I'm about to lay him down. And, you know, I'm in the room, door shut, dark, white noise going. And and barges my two-year-old, just kicks the door open, dragging the toy. Hey, Dad! And I, you know... (laughs) It's all How'd about to go, it's all about to go sideways, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, and this doesn't always work because again, he's two, but I shoot him a look and all it takes is the look and he freezes, his whole volume drops, his tone <laughs> changes, and he understands the authority yes. uh, that his dad operates out of. And he doesn't doubt for a second that I love him, but that's the imagery I think that Peter is using over and over. Remember who you are. Remember how holy he is. Conduct yourself appropriately. This isn't just scared, hide, run in fear. It is a reverent, holy, righteous, respectful, awestrucken fear of God. Yeah. Well, I think what's cool about, that's a great story. What's cool about this specific verse is it makes clear that God's not only our redeemer, he's also our judge. Mm. And that's where the reverence comes from. It's like this, he's the one who has authority. He knows, I'm not fooling him. He knows all. 
And it is he who at the end of the day makes the calls on who I am. And so with fear, I come to with reverence, with awe in his holiness. He's holy, so I revere him mm. and I trust him as judge. That's, that's good. So first, in pursuing holiness, we, we conduct ourselves with fear. Then uh, verses 18 through 21 give us another uh, way to pursue holiness. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So we conduct ourselves with fear, but here's what Peter's saying is, is consider the cost. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jam a couple words together from these uh, verses. Knowing that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. So in our, our pursuit of holiness, we are to consider the price that was paid on our behalves. This is what we did uh, a couple months back now when we looked at the wrath of God in the garden of Gethsemane. We, we ran to Jesus's moment of suffering, his anguish, and said, what's, what's going on here? We investigated. We saw the cost that was being paid, the innocent blood of Christ, uh, considering that, that it was paid on our behalf is a way for us to grow in our holiness. Um, I think this is something we have a hard time with because it requires us to admit that we are sinners. Hmm. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer says that we cheapen grace. In Western society, we cheapen grace. He says, we love grace, but we, we don't... Um, we don't talk about the sinner that's being justified in the grace given to us. He has this clever little line. I don't know if I remember it. <laughs> it costs so much because it's grace and it's grace because it costs so much. Mm. You're not going to figure that line out now, but chew on that. That is... I've never seen somebody put themselves on the spot. Well, I did. Well done. <laughs> I did. It's a great line, but grace is costly. Like there's a cost. And if we, and if we see, if we investigate the innocent, loving creator who comes down to those who he created, who have betrayed him, lets us kill him and says, it's for you. I'm giving grace. I'm giving love. So, uh, yeah. So we, I could stay there for a long time. Yeah. We pursue holiness by conducting ourselves with fear and considering the cost of Christ because we were ransomed with the precious blood that is more important than gold and silver. Those things are perishable. His blood is not. So we, we be holy. We set our hope fully on grace. Burke, will you read verses 22 through 25? And we'll talk about the third command here. Yeah. Now that you have purified yourself, this is verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, have I gone too far? No. no, keep going. For all men are like grass and, are, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Mm. Mm. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so we see here, not only is our identity shifted and it changes our personal interactions between us and God, we are to love one another. Mm -hmm. it, our our 
being sons of God shifts the way we engage in relationships and we are to love one another. Uh, there's some cool lines in this that I'd like you to unpack a little bit, Burke. The living and abiding word of God. It's through this that we have been born again and are able to love one another earnestly. Now that's a lot of big heady language, but how has the word of God led you to loving others earnestly. What did you say, sincerely? Yeah, uh, I, yes, I, I th- sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply, deeply. from the heart. Mm. Uh, and so I think really what you just unpacked about the understanding, the acceptance of grace and what it cost. And, you know, Peter's talking about kind of that flowing into us living lives that are holy or set apart. But really to me, the root of that is the joy. I'll mm. say it again, the rejoice, right? Mm. In our hearts that allows us to then, to me, that's the fuel that drives the desire to love, that, that drives the desire to act um, in a manner that's, that's worthy of the gospel. Uh, and so with, to me, without that, I, like, I'm, I'm capable of loving certain people in certain situations. Um, do you have something for me? Are you interesting to me? Um, uh, can you make a jump shot when you know you're opening the corner? Like I can love those people. Do you, you know think, what I mean? Do you think I'm one of those people who can make a jump? No, shot but you can play corner? D, and you don't require the ball. So I, I do like you. Um, <laughs> he knows my strength. That's right. It's like a like a smaller Rodman uh, with less <laughs> tattoos uh, and talent and a lot of things, but. Um, we do, we I'm digress. sorry, I threw you off. But no, so like in my flesh, uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm very limited in who I can love. And, and I'm also extremely uh, selfish in the reasons why I love. Yeah. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through an understanding of grace, through the word and an understanding that we are all made in God's image. Uh, I have learned... And, whatever ability I'm able to do this in my sinful nature, uh, when I remove my flesh and, and receive the spirit, I can love through the lens of seeing people like that. And it is such a testament to the power of God in my life. Uh, my brother, Sean Arvin, who started Love City, mm. we like to joke, like we are brothers through the spirit, period. Yeah. Like we were oil and water first couple of times. We were like, I'm not sure about this dude. He wasn't sure about me. <clears throat> But man, as we were around each other, it's like we could both see each other, not for our ugliness of our, of our uh, preconceived notions of who the other was, but through the power of the spirit and our kin, uh, kindred nature of uh, believers in Christ. And so the fruit of that is a beautiful thing, like yeah. to love someone um, as a brother in Christ, apart from my own uh, flesh is a beautiful thing to experience. But then even those that aren't of Christ, just like the scary prayer, you want a scary prayer, man, God help me see them how you do. Mm. Like you want a dangerous prayer, God, I really have a problem with that person, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm a obedient child of yours. Help me see them through the lens that you do. You created that person in your image. Mm. I can't see them like that right now. Please help me see them like that. Um, and so this idea of loving deeply from the heart to me can only even come close to being achieved when God has our heart and we're willing to let him transform it so that we can see people through a born again lens. Cause otherwise I, I got 
no chance. You don't want to talk about the spirit. That wasn't written down, but <laughs> that is the beauty of this is there's a command on Peter's part to love one another earnestly, mm-hmm. deeply. But the reality is in a culture obsessed with love, and we've distorted mm-hmm. the definition of it, mm. a culture obsessed with love, the only way you can love truly is if you've been redeemed. That's it. The only way that your selfishness can be spat out of you and, and turned into true selflessness is the reception of grace, being a heart nurtured, cared for, grown, melted by the God of the universe. Mm. We are, that's, that's really, I'm glad you said it that way because it's a command, but it's also a blessing and only an accessible blessing through the blood of Christ. Um, Sam, really quick. Burke's reading and it says all flesh is like grass and it's Mm. glory like the flower of the grass. Did did Peter turn into a philosopher (laughs) or a poet here? Was he just trying out some new lyrics? Uh, Can you really quickly explain what is is happening in those couple verses? Yes. Before I do, I will also say of it, I feel like I've heard probably Dave Stone quote that line more than anyone else over the years. And he's talked about how he's trained his kids to memorize this early on. That What's this that? Such, this line, mm. all flesh is like the grass mm. and glory like the flowers. Mm. The grass withers, flowers fall. The word of God stands forever. What a great word to commit to memory. Mm-hmm. Like I would encourage, I would exhort, I would challenge you men, do that. Memorize this word. Teach your household this word. But anyways, this comes from Isaiah 40, which was a whole different setting where essentially God was encouraging his people that, hey, no matter what the empire Babylon, Assyria, whatever, people who were in exile, these kingdoms, no matter how great they are, man, they're like grass. Mm-hmm. So you're saying Peter's quoting a book of the Old oh, Testament. Oh, yeah, yeah, He's quoting Isaiah 40. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, 40th mm. chapter, he says this. Right. And he's, Peter's using that. Oh, yeah. To help these people see we're perishable. Is that right? Yeah, that everything in this world, flesh, mm. man, it, James says we're like a mist. We're like a vapor. It's poof. Jason Everson spat on the stage. <laughs> yes, yes, You're yeah. here for that. Uh, but the word of God holds true. It stands firm. So he had just told us way back uh, in chapter 1, verse 4, that, that that inheritance that we are owed or that we're due as his sons is kept eternally for us in heaven. Mm. It's imperishable. So he's again saying, hey, the word of God, if God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. These trials, these afflictions, these sufferings that you're going through, it's temporal. Mm. Uh, and he's also just helped change the lens, what Burke, you were just unpacking. He went from the individual now communal, and he's looking out to others. So this is kind of like a shifting point in oh. this text where he's really starting to turn it up. And if we, if we look at Peter as someone who's worth emulating, man's just quoting Isaiah 40. I mean, that's, yeah. and it's spilling it's over. It off. And what's, yeah. what's beautiful too is we read Mark earlier this semester. Mm. We believe that Mark was uh, the life and ministry according to Peter written by his friend, Mark. Peter's talking, Mark's writing it down. When Peter starts on the story of Christ, he quotes Isaiah 40. So this guy looks at the Old Testament, not as dead old words that don't make sense, but as coming to fruition in Christ. And we see that here. Yeah, so Paul says that in his letter, Second Timothy. He says that all scripture is God-breathed, all of it. And it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that... Therefore, the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Mm. That includes Isaiah. That includes the Psalms. Mm. That includes all of it. Leviticus, (laughs) like all of it. And God will use it. So it's powerful. Yeah. Yep. So we've got 
set our hope fully on the grace of Christ. We've got be holy. We've got love one another earnestly. These are three commands. Finally, we see our fourth here, the beginning of chapter two. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Mm. Uh, And I think we're quick to see, okay, the command there is put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Um, We are to do that. The the verbiage of that is really saying putting away. Uh, Actively, as you do this, do that so that you can do this more important thing, this, this umbrella term, Long for the pure spiritual milk, which is, uh, does that make sense to you guys? You ready to move on? (laughs) Uh, Milk, quickly, he's using a metaphor. Paul uses milk as a metaphor, kind of saying like, you're immature. Like those dudes still drinking milk. Like they're Mm -hmm. not mature Christians. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. still on milk. What Peter's saying here is not that same type of connotation. He's saying um, in your love for one another that we just talked about, Put away your malice, deceit, hypocrisy. Those are all interactive relational terms. He's saying, put those away and instead long for the very necessary things of God. Mm. These Milk, you all have had children. I have not. You know better than I. Milk is a necessity mm-hmm. to a baby. You need to not, it, it doesn't say drink milk. It says you need to yearn for it. You need to be transformed and yearn for new things, which I think is incredible. Uh, we are to look to Christ to be changed, to want what is different, to want what is absolutely necessary to us, which are the things of God that nourishes us. So how, Burke, do you nurture the life you have in Christ? Well, I would say it's not not apples to apples with what Paul was talking about, with kind of the process of becoming a more mature believer. But I do think that there is some similarities in that. So Peter's calling us to crave that, right? Yeah. My, my uh, NIV says crave spir- pure spiritual milk, right? Mm-hmm. Crave that which nurtures our soul. Crave that which nurtures our faith, which then obviously should have an impact on, on the way we live and are distinct amongst, amongst others. Uh, but I do think there is a stair-step process in that, in that um, we should as we crave that, then also crave um, ways to do that that allow us to grow, right? Yeah. If we're being nourished, we see that with babies, they grow, right? Mm-hmm. And if you got a child that's not, you take them to the hospital. I mean, you take them to the doctor, like, yeah. the kid's not growing. He's not gaining weight. He's not getting bigger. What's, what's the issue here? Yeah. So as we crave that spiritual milk, we should see growth. Um, and we are fortunate. I was sitting there trying to put myself in the minds of those reading this. Like, we have so much... Jeez, yeah. that can nourish us. Like back in the day, what was their spiritual milk? I mean, obviously they could go to the Old Testament. Right? And this the letter. New, this letter. <laughs> yeah. If they could read. Right. right. But, but here, what is their pure spiritual milk? Togetherness, mm-hmm. the body of believers, uh, meeting, gathering, and serving, doing. Yeah. Right. Like that's that, that's the pure, you know, praying. Like sometimes we want to be, we just want to be fed. Like we, we want the milk. Um, I like to say I'm a kept man. I go to the fridge. I'm hungry, go to the fridge. I go thirsty, like it's there for me. So we, in some ways, have to you know search out that 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 um, that nourishment so that we don't get stagnant. Um, But I do think it's a call to us as as men who are yearning to grow in our faith 
to, to not only to crave that milk that will nourish us, but then to constantly be looking to uh, have that flow out, right? And, yeah. and, and that should, like we're talking about, cause us to be set apart yeah. because we're being nourished. I think that's good. I, the, the yearning for growth is not a bad thing, but we can almost turn Christianity into a, a study. Self-actualization, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, th- these people didn't receive this letter and say, well, let's break down the Greek syntax yeah, here. right. They said, go do. Christ's blood? Yeah. That's the cost? Wow. But they meditated. They they reveled mm-hmm. in the glory of it. Also, I think just like in summary of this whole kind of passage is just that knowledge of God leads to new affections, new desires. Yeah. So he had said, you know, near the beginning of ours is to be holy is to not be conformed to old or former passions. So put all those things away and we're going to pursue the spiritual milk, these things of God, because we see that he is good. If you see it's good, why would you want something that's yeah. bad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like why would you want the rotten stuff mm-hmm. when you've got the best thing there is? Anyways, yeah. So uh, Peter keeps running and we'll keep running with him. He uses this metaphor of a living stone that I'm gonna have you quickly explain to us, Samwise. Mm. I'll read it real quick. He says, uh, chapter two, verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Bro's going Isaiah Psalms, Isaiah Psalms. (laughs) Yeah. So I will do my best to be concise here. There is a lot going on here. There's a lot of temple imagery. There's a lot of like the sacrificial Mm. system. There's a lot of prophecies and things about Jesus that you could spend a lot of time in, even maybe a play on words. Jesus, or Peter's name is Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, and Jesus renames him Peter, Petros, rock. Yep. So he spends this whole section talking about rocks and stones. I mean, there's a lot you can dig into here and do it, like mm. spend some time in that. Suffice to say, the main image I would say we should focus on today is the line in verse 6 that Jesus is the cornerstone. So we've talked about over the weeks that the temple was this building, this spot, this uh, image for the presence of God, and the people would go there to experience him. And every temple, uh, any, any stone building, started with a cornerstone. That was the sure foundation. And from there, as they built it, all of the other stones were anchored and rooted to that. So similarly, Jesus is the cornerstone of this living temple because he's alive, because he rose. And when we are in Christ... We make up the body of Christ. We are living temples of the Holy Spirit ourselves now, only if we are rooted in Christ. Mm. So that's kind of the, the encouragement and the, the imagery he's using. Again, there's a whole lot more we yeah, could say, yeah. but I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But he's, he's moving from commands back to, here's who you are. You're a, you're a living representation of the God of the universe. You are a stone in the building that holds the presence of God. And then he goes on. Verses nine, uh, I'll finish off our verses today. He says, but you, he, he continues talking identity here. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, 
you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mm. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so what he conflates here, he integrates, he puts one in the same is identity and the blessing of responsibility. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. That, here's your responsibility, our responsibility as men of God, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us from darkness into light. From, from being not a people to being a people. From not receiving mercy to having received mercy. He says, abstain from passions of the flesh. We, we are to be distinct, sanctified. We're not to be how we used to be. And our conduct amongst those who don't know the Lord is to be uh, so notable that they may see our good deeds and glorify God. There's this beauty of what God gives us in his grace as a new identity, but also a responsibility to show him to the world. And so you've got the greatest purpose ever given to any man in the history of the human race right before you in our identity as a son of God. Hmm. So uh, I pray that you- Peter's quoting Matthew right there. Yeah. I mean, he's, qu- he's quoting the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. I should say, right? And, and he, he was, was there. there. He yeah. was with Jesus. He was there. He's saying, let your light shine before men. They may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. That is what it is. Yeah. That's it. Our our identity leads to responsibility. Our knowledge uh, leads, our knowledge of God leads to new affections and we're to pursue him. We're to uh, set our hope on grace. We're to be holy. We're to love one another. We're to drink, to pursue, long for pure spiritual milk. And in our new identity, live out the responsibility as sons of God. Um, For his glory. His glory and not ours. Yeah. Will you pray to his glory and not ours? Yes. (laughs) Father God, uh, thanks for the calling that is uh, to be holy, to be set apart, God, that feels impossible. But we know that uh, with you, all things are possible. God, your word declares that. And we acknowledge that here in this place this morning, God, that... Uh, You are good, you are holy, you are worthy of our best efforts to make you known. Um, And we're sinful, we're incapable uh, of doing that completely, God, but we long to uh, be set apart. We long to uh, flow from an identity of grace, that you loved us, God, uh, that you showed us that love through your son Jesus on the cross and that the, the joy in knowing that you love us so much would flow into our love for others, God. So change our hearts mm. um, and allow us to uh, love people the way you do. Allow us to see people the way you do, um, that you would get glory. God, that's our prayer this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So yeah, fellas, as you go to discuss this uh, amongst your tables, there's discussion questions in the table leader guide and participant guide, but go talk about what it means to be a son of God. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.